Hey friends, if this is your first time listening to the Spillway podcast, we encourage you to start at the prologue and work your way up to this sequential episode. If you choose to forge on despite this plea, keep these four things in mind. First, we are a serial. Our work is relational, and the beginning episodes are about building trust, familiarity, and shared frameworks and contexts. And also, white people talking to white people about white people things is a newer concept for a lot of folks. We don't want to push people into the deep end. So please, save yourself the headache. We'll be here when you're caught up. Two, stay in your own lane. We build space to examine, critique, hold, and love white people as we navigate pushback and relapse in the mechanics of white supremacy and white shame within white culture and white culture alone. And that's however much we can in the fluidity of culture. Three, we're in the combined fabric of destiny. Our humanity, as Dr. King defines, is interrelated. Everyone is caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be, and you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. That's point one. Point 3.5, we are a piece of the broader racial justice movement. We're not trying to divert resources nor claim that we're a one-stop shop. Being in cross-cultural community, educating ourselves, and being in good relation is unquestionably vital to our work. This show is about white people, cleaning and mending our own section of the fabric and the work we need to do before, during, and after showing up in shared spaces. And lastly, one right way. This form of grounding empathy, compassion, patience, and understanding at the core of white culture may or may not work for everyone. That's okay. There are other resources out there. We all share the same goal as beautifully defined by Adrienne Marie Brown to create a world where everyone experiences abundance, access, pleasure, human rights, dignity, freedom, transformative justice, peace. We long for this. We believe it is possible. We're trying this approach, but that doesn't mean that it's the best or right approach for you. If it doesn't apply, let it fly. And with that, for better or worse, we began entering the spillway. I had a, a personal turning point in 2015, <clears throat> shortly after Dylan Roof had killed a room full of Black churchgoers in their mm -hmm. Bible study group. And I was looking at uh, a picture of him, and he had that same sort of glazed over, dissociated, dysregulated look that my autistic son would get in his eyes just before he had yet another violent tantrum. He's now a lot better. Um, but I had this moment where this, this knowing just kind of suffused my body, which was, I am not separate from him. The same system that created him also created me. We are part of the same collective white psyche. And right around this time, I noticed that the white people around me were doing and saying things much exactly the opposite of that, calling him a monster, calling for him to be locked up forever and ever. And I thought, wait a second, you know, 
from this sense of connection, I started to um, formulate the idea for these white on white workshops, how to talk to the other white people. And I brought my somatic body oriented um, counseling skills in to help people slow down their reactions to what like what happens in our bodies when we monsterify, if you will. <laughs> and even if you want another white person, oh my God, what's actually happening within us? How do we slow that down mm. and be with it and consider, just consider the possibility of engaging them as another human being? Because if we were members of the same family, and in some profound way, we are all members of the same family, we would draw them in. Just like when my son was having a tantrum, I wasn't going to monstrify him. I wanted to draw him in and say, what's going on? How did this happen? How do we make you feel more comfortable and safe so that you need to do this? And as white people, I think that's where, you know, some things that Lynn and Jared have mentioned about doing the work within ourselves. How do we expand our capacity for being with the hard feelings that come up? When we see other white people doing violent and harmful, sometimes fatal things. I love what Jill is saying here in episode six, and I think it kind of speaks for itself. So I just want to like stop and appreciate you and just like acknowledge that I'm loving this conversation. I love you. I don't love you because this conversation is going so well. I love you, like period. No, but also I like I'm enjoying this conversation. No, I know. <laughs> Because I, I we too. have done so much fucking work on mm -hmm. this thing. And so to like mm -hmm. sit in it and reflect and share. And like, even when you're like, oh, Evangeline says that too. I was like, did she? Mm -hmm. And you start talking like, oh, fuck. Yeah, like there's just so much shit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The beauty that we fucking trudged through mm -hmm. to get to this final episode. Yeah. And then Jill's over here talking about our interconnectedness and our shared humanity. That I'm just like. I got a lot of love in my heart. Oh, I have a lot, of, a lot of love in my heart for you. I mean, this whole process has been painful and wonderful. Yeah, yeah that's the best way to describe it. It is painful and wonderful. Well, and I didn't even really have to do much. I just had to show. <laughs> <laughs> and I would still like the night before we were going to record, I was like. <laughs> <laughs> It's beautiful. Um, which I think this is actually a really lovely segue into. Uh, I'm so excited to report out to you on data from our conversations. <laughs> um, and so we have had on the podcast, I want to make sure that I get this number correct. 116,014 words. A lot of verbiage. Of that, we say white or whiteness a thousand seventeen times. Wow. We ask at minimum eight hundred and sixteen questions. Mm. Um, we say racism two hundred and fourteen times, community a hundred and forty six times, men a hundred and forty three, culture one twenty eight, people of color one hundred and eighteen. Black, 107. Women, 81. Fuck, 78. <laughs> that sounds right. 
I also didn't think we said shit a whole lot, but we say it 44 times. Huh. Shit, I feel like isn't the most like impactful curse word, but when mm-hmm. used strategically, it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, preciousness, 32. Mm-hmm. I mean. That makes sense. And then tears, 13. Hmm. Like I thought we talked we talked about tears, like white women tears a lot more than we actually did. Oh, huh, yeah. That's one of the things that I have on here. It's like uh, the themes that keep showing up. Yeah. So just by the numbers, is there any word or phrase or it has? Yeah, it has to be a very specific word or phrase that I could look up. Alamo. Let's find out. Just curious. Six. Mm-hmm. That's six sorry. Times. Six times. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but in all seriousness, um, harm. Seventy-seven. That's it. Yeah. Dang. Right. I feel like that's where I was like, oh, I feel like we talked about this a lot more. And so when I was like coming up with my themes, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, maybe we didn't actually talk about this a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And the data says something different. What about we? We. Mm-hmm. 1,089. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Oh, yeah, let's try us. 134. Mm. Which is more than culture. Oh, what's culture? 128. Oh, yeah, that's right. You said that. When I was little, this is what I thought. The first thing that you would, this is something that I thought you had access to in the afterlife was how many times you did or said something. No way. Yeah. I really wanted there to be like a database that you could go through of the life that you had and be like, oh my God, I said, I love you X times. I watered the plants X amount of times. I masturbated X amount of times. Mm-hmm. And just be like, oh wow, th- these are my, these are my stats. This is my oh, Only you. Well, maybe not only you, but definitely you would be like, baby Lauren would be like, I need a spreadsheet of all when I get to get to heaven, I need a (laughs) spreadsheet of all the things. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Come to the pearly gates. Where's the database? Which which way do I go? Do we have an Excel spreadsheet? (laughs) You would probably bring your own. If you could, well, I guess this thing, if you could bring anything to cross the river sticks, what would you bring? Seltzer. <laughs> <laughs> Here's my cold one. Yeah. Yep. Hey, Just never friend. ending supply of new seltzer because I only like those first two calls. <laughs> Welcome to the final episode of season one of the Spillway podcast, where we try to refocus our lens on what it means to be white in the U.S. today without supremacy or shame. Jenny and I have come up with lists of our biggest takeaways, incredible moments of learning, and highs and lows of this first season. So this should go without saying, but if you haven't listened to season one, a whole lot of this is not going to make sense. 
And without further ado, let's just jump right on in. Okay. Um, yeah, let's just start with biggest impact. Let's. Th- uh, so three. I'll do three first since okay. I, have, I have three, and then you have two. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first one I have, it's like a penumbra of clips, and it's about the interconnected. I'm sorry. What did you just say? The penumbra. It's a penumbra of clips. What is a penumbra? I love penumbras. So it's when multiple things kind of overlay themselves Mm -hmm. they're all very different and distinct but once you see this overlay and you like look through them it makes its whole own entire thing oh okay so like the thing of like a powerpoint or something (laughs) no okay (laughs) it is yeah it's like a thing that exists but doesn't exist in the actual literature but like the feeling, the gist of it kind of does. Mm-hmm. And so I think you'll understand as soon as I say it. And it is the interconnectedness of our work. Mm-hmm. And like when I started the spillway, I, it was kind of around this like, don't you want to stop fucking hurting yourself and hurting other people? Like, is your life really that good when you talk about race and racism? Because I kept seeing people like, like cringe and recoil from conversations of race and racism. And like that Mm -hmm. to me, like registered as this trauma response. And it was like, oh, like that doesn't like, I think even Lynn Burnett says in the whites of the round table or yeah, Lynn says in the episode, you know, if you're a white person and you're wrestling with experiences of guilt or shame or feeling embarrassed or being worried that you're racist or being worried that people will perceive you as racist, or if you're feeling defensive, um, or if you have fear, you know, and anxiety around black and brown people, or if you're turning on Fox News and you're feeling, you know, a fear reaction to the narratives there, like none of that is a positive life experience, you know, like all of that is taking away from you having a beautiful life. Like that's not a good quality of life. Right. And that's why I started the spillway of like, no, like let's increase your quality of life. And then I think... Uh, like through Beyond White Supremacy and then the focus group with the men and its impact on GNBT folks and women, like my healing is tied up in your healing. My well-being is tied up in your well-being. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of the uh, the Martin Luther King quote of, I cannot be fully who I am supposed to be if you were not fully who you were supposed to be. Uh, and so that was like never really explicitly said throughout the piece but I feel like there was a couple of times throughout the series where it felt like yeah this there's this really like beautiful interconnectedness to our world and to our work within the uh the combined destiny our shared fabric mutuality that Mm -hmm. Martin Luther King talks about that's my number three what clip was that oh was it the Lynn one um so the clips so it is um Fred and Pablo talk about interconnectedness Okay. And beyond white supremacy. The importance of, of interconnectivity, um, of the importance of shared stake in harms, um, and recognizing that we have obligations to be in good relation with each other, right? Um, to care for ourselves and our collective community. So it's very much tied up for me in this kind of concept of collective liberation, you know, this oft-quoted idea that, that Lauren brought forward, that Fred talked about, that none of us are free until all of us are free, right? And that that our liberation as as white men is directly tied into the liberation of women 
of of black folks, of indigenous people, of people of color, uh, and and all sorts of other uh, subjugated, uh, othered, or minoritized groups. So to say that we as white men are not impacted by racism or sexism or these other systems of power is, I think, a total misrepresentation, right? Yep. Yep. Um, and then the focus group with men, uh, to see them talk about it, its interconnectedness and in race and then interconnectedness and in gender. Sure. And I think that that's what really like brought it home for me was mm-hmm. the beyond white supremacy and the focus groups. There were, you know, white men talking about racism and then there were mm-hmm. white men talking about gender mm-hmm. and to see both of those times the impact that it has on people of color and then on women and gender conforming non-binary and transgender folks that to me was the like oh here's this thing that we're not talking about that's actually here mm. okay. between those two pieces does that make sense yes it sure does okay i was just trying to like not visually because you don't see anybody because it's a podcast but like in my head think of like examples that overlay palumbra or whatever you call it. <laughs> penumbra oh penumbra mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh all right what was your number two my number two was um in the men's focus group when Tish said let's say to all white people that the only thing you're entitled to is love so the reason why i think and also our discussion about it tied into that mm. where you said your view was I just need to say this around the the only thing you're entitled to is love mm-hmm. because I feel like this was a really important eureka moment for me mm-hmm. when I hear that there is part of me this really uh unfortunate shaming part of me mm-hmm. this is my shame culture talking okay that says a white man is entitled one of course huh but then two to love Mm -hmm. is skeevy Mm -hmm. it sounds rapey um and it sounds manipulative no no i'm entitled to your love i'm entitled to your body and however i'm defining love and it has taken me like a couple of weeks of like listening and sitting with this this episode specifically to like really sit in acknowledging my like roots and shame culture and how deeply embedded I was in that and how it wasn't until there was a moment like this where someone who and we've talked about this multiple times how this person basically just repeats Fred jealous mm-hmm. but I couldn't hear it from him I couldn't hear it from teach but I could hear it from from Fred. Right. And just the work that I need to do, unpacking my fucking shame. Whereas my feeling was, you know, like, oh, how, you know, how hopeful, you know, that a straight white man is, is saying this. And I think that highlighted for me how differently we hear the same words, not you, you and I specifically, Mm -hmm. but anyone. Right. Yeah. And how much of that is impacting how people approach the work, specifically white people, Um, because we can say anything and two people in the room will hear them completely differently. Right. And also there's the difference on how you, you are saying something and your 
context and your lens through which you are saying these things, they, they're not going to know that the people who are listening to you or reading whatever you're writing necessarily. Right. So that has made me very mindful of what I read and consume and say to folks around race and racism, which is humbling, Mm -hmm. you know, like I don't know where people are coming from. Yeah. Um, so when I'm talking, when I hear somebody say something racist, I, I step into the conversation with more compassion. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is not what I would have done before. Mm-mm. I would have just been like, oh my gosh, that person's racist. Fuck off. You know, but right. now, you know, I, I'm gently, I gently probe. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, what makes you feel that way? Or um, what do you mean? You know, just trying to open up more of a conversation. Yeah, Sometimes curiosity. it works and sometimes it doesn't. But I think yeah. that's what that did to me. It's interesting because my number two is also shame. No, it's not also shame, but it's like, sh- it's about shame. And, and I think mm-hmm. because for me in that moment, it was shame culture speaking mm. of shame on you, white man. You're not entitled to anything. Right. That's what you said. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And having to, it, it's interesting that you bring up that clip. I wasn't thinking about that clip as much as I was thinking about Tristan talking about shame and social justice as being mm-hmm. this intercultural kind of legacy that we leave for each other. Oh, I've thought about this a lot. And it's because it's because of power. Um, for so many years, perhaps all of our modern existence, the only social political power that queer people have had is the power to shame. That's it. Mm-hmm. We weren't elected officials. We weren't teachers. In many cases, we weren't parents. We weren't bosses. We didn't have the ability to hire and fire people. We didn't have the ability to shut down businesses or to regulate. Our only power was to make people feel like crap in the hopes that they would feel bad enough that they would stop doing harmful things against the queer community. It was our only tool. And so we got really used to using it. And I don't think that the queer movement has sufficiently evolved for people to understand, like, if you, if, what do do they say? Like, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. People are acting like all they have is hammers. You don't. Like, yeah. Um, and we've taken to fighting ourselves rather than at places and policies that can be changed or be made. Mm-hmm. And shame shows us our otherness, just wanting to be seen, heard, and respected. Mm-hmm. But how collectivized that shame has become when we as like leftist liberal social justice types project that racism that happens to POC onto ourselves and feel like it's ours. Mm. And that's not empathy. That's a lack of boundaries or self-regulation skills. And then we experience that as an emotional contagion and it's really fucking unhealthy. And that cycle turns into how hurt people can hurt people. Mm. Like I was doing with fucking teach. Right. Beautiful human. I don't know. You're entitled to love. Fuck you, white man. Yeah. It's so easy though. So fucking easy. It's so easy. And I, I just finished before we started recording, listening to the Evangeline episode because I wanted to get some stuff from it. Sure. And one of the things that she says in there is like, it's so lazy <laughs> to just cancel people. <laughs> so it's lazy. so lazy to just be like angry mm-hmm. and shut down. Mm-hmm. 
That's why cancel culture is so easy because it doesn't require anything of us. It's just lose your temper. And like the only place that I'm down with calling out is like if I'm standing in front of Capitol Hill, right? And I'm <laughs> holding a sign like, mm-hmm. yes, let's call. Like we call out up, right? It's like we punch up. We don't punch down. That's what's so intoxicating for so many people about cancel culture is that it's lazy. It's easy, mm-hmm. right? I can just block you. I can just discard you. I don't need to engage you. I can walk away from those 53% of white women who voted for Trump. I don't need to try to figure out how to talk to them, right? It's it's an incredible shift to think, well, actually, how do I support? How do I support people to make another step in their journey? Right. Carlin Quinn talks about that in the, uh, she had uh, education for racial equity. And she said, whenever I feel comfortable, mm-hmm. I know that white supremacy is afoot. Mm. Whenever I'm at ease or things are easy for me, I know that white supremacy is afoot. And I think that that's like a really good example of, oh yeah, this is so easy. Yeah. Like, let's just fucking roll into it. Don't even have to stand up. Just fucking slide into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a huge impact on me mm-hmm. because it has reminded me how fucking, yeah, it's sometimes lazy that I am intellectually. Yeah. I mean, everybody emotionally. Is, right? yeah. 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 Cause also being alive asks a lot of us just everyone in general so and you can't possibly emotionally show up for everything in life no you can there's you wouldn't you can't so so being intentional about showing up for this work takes effort and and then also just being being present for it is Mm -hmm. work also so so it's easier just to like you know shut people down because then you don't have to do any work yourself okay i've never even like thought about it that way but that's exactly why the shutdown happens yeah because you're like okay i hate you you're awful or hey everyone look at this awful person okay bye yeah holding multitudes Mm -hmm. i have a feeling we're both going to say the same thing for number one yeah if there's one word that you could say say it in three two one preciousness (laughs) ah I think I would ask them a question. I would just ask them, can you access the truth of your own preciousness? And that's the starting place for the discussion. Can you access that? And if you can access that that place, can you stay there? And you use it as a starting place to from which to connect to all of life and from which and from which to take a look at where you put your attention with other humans. That's exactly yes. I'm so shocked. It's amazing. No, it's like changed how I operate in the world. How? Why? Because when people are being shitty or I'm being shitty or things feel shitty and it's just like I don't want to deal with anyone including myself it reminds me that I have to and it's not at first I was like oh I can just feel that everyone's precious there's that laziness right but it actually call it calls you to to be active about it yeah it does like at my favorite coffee shop there was a human wearing 
these shorts that had the American flag made out of AK assault rifles. Oh, interesting. Okay. And he was standing next to an elementary school kid who was probably around the same age as the Uvalde. This was after the shooting Mm -hmm. um, there. And, and I looked at the parent of the kid. I'm assuming it was the parent. I don't know for sure, but the, the adult that was with the child. And we like had this moment where we looked at each other and spoke to each other through our eyes because we were both looking at the shorts at the same time. And then we looked at each other and I was so angry Mm. at first. And I was like, well, fuck that guy. And then I was like, I remembered preciousness in my head. And I was like, wow, somebody feels so unsafe in their skin and their environment that they have to put on clothing that speaks to potential violence to go to the coffee shop in their neighborhood on a whatever day it was. It was like a Friday. And that person's inability to feel safe clothing themselves in violence is doesn't just affect them it affects everybody Mm. and especially you know this child who probably didn't register the shorts as much as we did but maybe i have no idea but that human the adult that was with the child was so aware you know what i mean so it's like this guy probably thinks I shouldn't say what he probably thinks, but, you know, that's my shorts, my personal property. I'm an American. Do what I want. Yeah. Type deal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not thinking that like this parent or caretaker of this child is experiencing anxiety or trauma um, because of the shorts he's wearing. Mm -hmm. So then I also was like, oh, they are also precious. Yeah. And it just like fucked me up. <laughs> it's like like crying over my muffin, just like <laughs> in this coffee shop. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that's how that's how that has changed me. Yeah. Also, the remembrance that that human that was wearing those assault rifle shorts was once the age of that child and the children who died by died in Uvalde. Yeah, I I just want to sit in that for a minute. It just feels like a lot. I'm holding what you're saying. It's interesting because when you talk about preciousness, you're thinking about other people's preciousness. Mm-hmm. And because I was so invested in shame culture, I didn't think that my life had value. And so I always centered the parts of me that were marginalized because those parts have social credit and social power and social justice leftist spaces. But like my full humanity didn't mean anything. It was, mm. oh, no, 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 I'm going to make myself this two-dimensional queer and trans human, um, but that my life has value and my life has meaning, like my mm-hmm. full, complete complexity of it, and not because of any identity that's associated with it, but just because inherently we are all precious. Mm-hmm. And I lost that, or perhaps I like never had it, that understanding mm. or that kind of connection to my own humanity. And so that's why it was so easy for me to take away other people's humanity because I was trying to gain something for myself or trying to like 
hey, if I take some of yours away, maybe I can add it into my bucket. Um, and yeah, this like um, really limited understanding of power. Mm-hmm. The power is not infinite. Power is this this scarce resource uh, that I have to extract from you. And that's takes away my preciousness. Mm-hmm. What are you thinking? I'm just sitting with that for a minute because we've known each other for a long time. So I can see that, you know, if you hadn't have said that, I don't think I would have associated, um, you know, past you with with that and Mm. how that plays out. But that it just makes me really sad because we don't life is very short. Yeah. And we've spent, we're, you know, mid thirties. So we spent a lot of our lives, maybe all of our lives, not being connected with our preciousness. But I think when we're both, when we were born, that was there, Mm -hmm. you know, that was something like, I don't know how much babies know, but I think the feeling of being alive and in the world and and knowing that there are things that will care for you is something that babies have that's Mm -hmm. just my own view and then something happens along the way where we lose that yeah i mean my theory is we start to talk (laughs) because and, and i genuinely believe that um well there's a couple of quotes out in the universe that are you know, an infant is nothing but a reflection of the parent. Mm-hmm. Before you talk, it's literally, it's everything that the parent wants the kid to be. Mm. Um, infants don't have a personality. It is who their parents are and how their parents interpret or express who the kid is. Mm-hmm. Um, but then as soon as you start talking, that fragments. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, wait, you're actually your own person with your own hopes and dreams and aspirations and wants and desires you're not me oh shit and so there's like these years where you build this like oh this is an extension of me this is an extension of my body mm-hmm. and so of course you love and you're like oh my god now I can like literally hold and love myself mm-hmm. and then this fucking thing starts talking and you're like what huh who mm-hmm. and it's not you anymore and so that's where I think, and as soon as we start talking, we start memory and we start development and uh, like developmental cognition around our understandings and environmental assessments. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the shit that we start to remember. And like Fred was saying, you know, I think underneath it all, we're built for love, you know, as part of the fabric of life. And, you know, that the, the disappointment that our childhoods weren't about that, that they were about a training us into a role is profound. Mm. We're so pissed that our childhoods weren't about love, mm-hmm. but our infancy probably was. Yeah. But yeah. our childhood, and I think that that distinction between infancy and childhood is a pretty important marker. You know, we assume that babies are blank slates, as people yeah. say, like, oh, it's just a mushy mush of nothing, you know, <laughs> Right. <laughs> which is always what I assume. I'm like, oh, very mm-hmm. cute, mushy yeah. cre- creature. But they're starting to find that babies actually understand the world better than we think they do. Mm. 
So people do project themselves onto babies because they think that it's blank slate time. Yeah. And then when they start talking, it is very jarring because they're like, oh, wait, you have all of these <laughs> things right. and you're not just going to do whatever I want you to do. And like parenting, I think, I mean, I don't know, but I think it's how you respond to that. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Like, do you get angry? And I think that's the same with this work, mm-hmm. you know, learning to not be reactive, but to be curious and thoughtful. Yeah, I think that's it's a really interesting frame on parenting, too. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking, I mean, you know that I've been thinking a lot about it. Yeah. Um. And it's sort of seeped into other parts of my life. Like, how am I responding to these things? Why am I responding this way? Who does that harm? Who does that help? Mm -hmm. You know? And I think, yeah. Responding out of curiosity again. Mm -hmm. Which I don't regularly do. Like, I have to think about doing that. Like, I'll get mad if somebody cuts me off and start cussing. And then I'm like, well, what's going on in their life? But it takes, you know, I have to make that switch. And like we just spoke about, I'm lazy. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the more repetitions we do of anything, the better we're going to get at it. Yeah, it's true. Practice. Yeah. All right. So let's maybe do this next one as well in the reverse order. Three, two, one. The three clips. Mm -hmm. What are the three clips that kept, what are the, what three clips kept creeping into your consciousness when you least expected them. So number three was, it's like we say at the beginning of every episode, you know, hurt people hurt people. Yeah. And that's easy to turn around and do when you're hurting. Well, I also, I think I just want to like name that the tagline is hurt people can hurt people. Uh, because I think what Evangeline is doing is trying, to like, <laughs> is trying to support people to move into the can territory oh. rather than just like, oh, you're hurting. So you're inevitably going to hurt this other person. Because oh, I feel yeah. Like, no. Yeah. Yeah. Like that Sorry. is, I, I think what you just did is like it, you showed exactly what like the liberal left movement is like, oh, no, you're this woman. You will always be hurt. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're white. You'll always be racist. Right. Mm-hmm. This like the always the inevitability of your mm-hmm. experience. Yeah. And it's not like that. It doesn't have to be that way. No, no. It doesn't have to be that way. And so like, I totally get what you said because I sometimes get tripped up with it too. Right. Cause it's, yeah. I think I've also heard it so much without the can, like just in the world. Like I've heard that phrase before, but mm-hmm. in my head, it's always hurt people, hurt people, mm-hmm. not hurt people, can hurt people. Right. It goes back to redemption. It goes back mm-hmm. into reformation. Can you... Do, do humans have the ability to change? Mm-hmm. And that can, to me, makes the world a difference. Yeah. And that made me think about how I did assume that all hurt people hurt people. Yeah. Um, and that possibility has followed me every day when I see something. Because, you know, shit always happens. And I see shitty things. And I think, okay. Hurt people can hurt people, but that doesn't have to be how I respond to this, whatever it Mm. was. So that one, that one I think about a lot. My number three is it's actually in the bonus materials that's Mm -hmm. listed on our website. And it's the conversation that Evangeline and I had uh, about fuck the individual experience. Mm -hmm. 
I actually, I actually, I don't know. Let's try this on Lauren. Sure. I don't give a shit about people's individual experience. Like I don't, I am so Mm. over white people's individual experience and every little snowflake that exists. That's where the term snowflake comes from. Right, right, right. People think like I'm special, I'm unique. You need to understand my particular perspective here. And if I was going to just like, maybe it's because it's 9am on Friday and I've had a hell of a week, but like my response when you say individual people is like, no, 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 no. I don't care about individual people. I'm building a conversation that is across the gr- a group. And the thing with white people is we hate our group identity. We hate it. That's where the trauma is. We are not at peace with this group identity. And the reason we're not at peace with this group identity is because it's meaningless. It's both the, one of the most meaningful social constructs in the country right now because of structural racism, but the reason that it's traumatizing is that it's meaningless. It has no meaning. Whiteness has no meaning. Mm-hmm. And how Evangeline really tries to pull the, the micro work into a macro lens. Mm-hmm. And it's like, when you're talking to people, <clears throat> they're telling you all of their cultural shit. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it is, it's like universalized within whiteness thing that's happening, but we are so hell bent on being these individuals and individual freedom and individuality, which is like a huge like cornerstone of our American democracy mm-hmm. and founding mm-hmm. uh, that we have taken it and just obliterated the concept of community. Mm. And I was, it actually reminded me of, um, did you watch the, the, uh, Alok on the Good Man podcast? Yeah. Yes. The, so, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched the clips on Instagram. There's this, I actually want to bring this into the, to our podcast here for a second, just for mm-hmm. educational purposes, because I feel like they're saying the exact same thing. And it reminds me again of the interconnectedness of our work. Mm-hmm. And I read and I, read your book and I understand gender pronouns and yet I still find myself sometimes feeling nervous because I don't want to mess up or or hurt you or say the wrong thing or feel like I'm I'm taking away from your identity by calling you a he Um, and so I'm just wondering do you feel people be nervous that they're going to say it wrong this is a a 101 class for listeners because Mm. I just because I noticed I felt nervous and I didn't want to make you feel bad Mm. and so I apologize uh, if I did I tried to correct it right away but for anybody who's listening who maybe has never been around a gender non-conforming person because there's way too many uh, people that haven't. Um, what I'm just curious. So that's kind of where I wanted to start. <laughs> sure. I guess I would say welcome to the awkward choreography of being a human. Yeah. We're always going to mess up mm. because we are indoctrinated into a world that teaches us ideology, not compassion. Mm. So it's not you speaking when you misgender me. It's everyone that has spoken to you before. And in my life, what I always try to remind people is I was not born with gender literacy. I was born hating myself and hunting myself. I don't want to do the whole thing because people just need to go over and listen slash watch that. Mm-hmm. But I feel like they're saying the exact same fucking thing. Right. This isn't, okay, sure. Yeah, you have individual experience. I get that. And you were taught everything that you're saying to me right now mm-hmm. was taught to you from someplace. Mm -hmm. and so we miss that as white people 
And that's what like always keeps creeping up into my consciousness of, oh, wow, someone taught you this. Someone taught Mm. you to think, believe, or behave in this very specific way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's why when I, when I hear something that like really just feels like nails on a chalkboard of, all right, cool. This yeah, is, where this did is, you hear that? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's my number three. Mm. My number two is from the men's focus group from Sam's vulner- vulnerable confession of the sexual abuse slash violence. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is that it scared me. And part of that is that that lives in that capacity to be violent and angry or ain't so angry or violent or whatever is within everyone so how far away am i like where does mine lie because i know it's in there yeah and what keeps me from from projecting that onto actual people um so that that one that when it also makes me think how well do you know people you can't just look at someone and know right and even if you've known someone for years like you and i have we're always one we talk being like oh i didn't know that you know whatever Mm -hmm. the case may be so so that one that one i think about a ton i love that there's this connection between your humanities and that too but like in such a, a very scary, violent place, it's so easy to go, oh yeah, that's him. Mm-hmm. He's having that experience, but also knowing, oh wow, I'm also capable of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and where do I lie in that? And it reminds me of um, uh, in the never-ending story okay. where, where Atreyu has to look into the mirror um, before he goes through whatever gateway. And he's told that men see their true selves in this mirror Mm. and a lot of it causes a lot of them to go crazy and kill themselves and a lot of people die so when he looks in the mirror he sees whatever the other kid's name is oh my god i don't remember um but the other kid who's actually reading Elliot or whatever his name is, mm-hmm. is reading the never ending story. So Trey is living the never ending story and Elliot's reading it. And I, f- I thought of that scene when I was thinking about Sam confessing to this thing that happened and me standing across from him, judging him and being afraid, but then tying in Fred's preciousness. Yeah. Yeah thing and being like oh i'm just looking at myself i'm looking at a possible version of myself Mm -hmm. um so that's what i thought of this feels connected Mm -hmm. yet independent but that if you i'm so excited to go back and revisit the the focus groups in like a year a couple years and listen to us talk Mm -hmm. because that the focus group, as much as it is trying to understand these white men's perspectives, it's such a reflection of who we are yep. and what we were thinking about or what we were saying or what we thought was important to bring into the conversation. Mm-hmm. And so as much as it is this like 
analysis and exploration of white men. It's this huge analysis and exploration of us yes, as humans and how we like receive and interpret something like violence or something as mundane as them introducing themselves and us being Mm -hmm. like, oh my God, they're so inconsistent. Yeah. 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 Well, that, that goes back to when we were talking about Tisha's all you're entitled to is love, you know, how we hear things. Yeah. How we how we take in somebody's words or actions. Which I feel that leads perfectly almost to my number two. And that's when Fred was talking about Rumi's quote. Now, if you just keep welcoming, it's like Rumi's quote, you know, well, there's one quote from Rumi about um, welcome, 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 welcome you 10,000 times if that's what it takes for you to come to the world of love. Something like that. I'm paraphrasing. And as many times as I've tried to look up this Rumi quote, I cannot find it. Like Fred, Fred maybe it's not it Rumi. So <laughs> maybe it's not. But I just I keep thinking of that whenever there is like discord or disconnect, when someone's like, "Oh fuck you, Lauren," or like "Fuck the spillway." Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, that's fine. I'm just gonna keep welcoming you back. Like yeah. at some point, you're, you're gonna be ready. ready. At some point, you're gonna be here, and like that's fine. But like. I just have to keep like holding space for you to know that this is a space where you can be angry and that your angry is valid here. And in so many other places, your anger isn't. Uh, so please like come back when you're ready. And sometimes even when you're not ready, mm-hmm. but we're here. Just, just come back anyway. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And we're going to keep loving you. Mm-hmm. That's my number two. Yeah. That just keeps fucking creeping in because so many people like to project their shit onto me. Yeah. And the spillway. So and the spillway, yeah. Welcome to the work of healing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so my number one. My number one is so love is an important tool and it, it can't happen outside of an accountability context. I want both, right? I want support, which is my word for love, what y'all are calling love. Like I want to, I want support, but I also want accountability. If all I'm getting is love and support, that's like sappy and vapid, and I don't really believe it. And if all I get is chastised and yanked on and told I'm doing it wrong, then I'm only going to stick around for five minutes. What we, what I would say is what we really need in our organizing spaces is we need that balance of support and accountability. And that can only happen in relationship. Evangeline taught me that love Mm -hmm. can be Mm -hmm. support plus accountability. Boom. That's just, I just don't even know. Like that's so much harder than ha- just being like I love you and then never showing up for anything uh-huh. so like here's an example my one of my best friends had here had a birthday party for her granddaughter mm-hmm. and and I was like oh no I don't want I don't know anybody other than my friend and her husband really um, I'm gonna be all by myself now, this friend has driven me to the hospital. This friend put together a COVID bridal shower for me when I got married. Like, this friend is is legit. And I thought of Evangeline. And I was like, God damn it. Support plus accountability. Yeah. 
So I showed up, I went, it was uncomfortable. And I was like, for half of it, just sitting there by myself, like, <laughs> like trying to enter people's conversations and not knowing what was going on. But she felt, my friend felt so loved that yeah. I just showed up, Right. you know, I was just there. And that, that's an example, but that's what. And I love that your example is a difficult conversation with yourself. Mm -hmm. We constantly think about this dialogue as this interpersonal thing, rather this intrapersonal thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that example. Mm -hmm. My number one just keeps fucking creeping. Sam just like as a human. Just, <laughs> just Sam, in general. Sam's humanity. Yeah. Just keeps fucking creeping into my consciousness when I'm not even expecting it. I could be doing nothing. And all of a sudden, here comes Sam. It's it's that like these people grew up, like spent their lives thinking that they were good. And all of a sudden they were told, no, you're the problem. Right. They they were like, but I but I followed what I was supposed to. I I was good to my family and I was good to my church and did all these great things. And and now you're telling me that. I fucked up and Sam, same 40, same 50, Sam so old that like, I couldn't even fathom doing it different. Like my life is over. And now my, my world has been turned upside down. Struggling to break free of the cultural scripts that we place around straight white men. Mm -hmm. And I think of the, to me, I feel like the good old boys club, the good old boys network turned into this inescapable co-constructed prison. Mm -hmm. And Sam just wants to be loved and to mm -hmm. love mm -hmm. and to feel valued. Mm -hmm. And so when I, it's, it's so interesting. I see Sam everywhere. Wow. Everywhere. Whenever mm -hmm. I see her, I see someone who's asking to be loved. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me a lot of the, the Kazuhaga quote. Uh, well, actually I think Kazu was quoting Marshall Rosenberg that mm -hmm. violence is the tragic expression of unmet needs. Mm. Yeah. And so then that just like, as soon, it's, yeah, when I see violence. And so that, a lot of that, while we've been recording this and the world has turned more violent, mm -hmm. I think of Sam a lot. And it's not that Sam would do this violence. I don't, well, maybe, I don't know. Um, but that it is all from this desire to be loved and seen and have their needs met. Yeah. And Evangeline yeah. talks about that too. Sure does. I mean, we have to invite discord, mm -hmm. right? But that discord has to be relationship relational. I think we live in a very conflict avoidant world. We have we have lots of examples of conflicts going really badly, right? Bombs dropping. That's you know people losing their tempers, being violent with one another. Um, and then we have lots of examples of avoidance, right? Like, mommy, why does that man only have one leg? Oh, shut up. Don't talk about that. Let's go, right? So like, we don't want to talk about the hard things or we want to drop bombs on people. It's like, these are the extremes that we're living in. And if we want to be in a negotiated space where we're trying to figure out what does justice mean or what does equity mean in this organization or what does power look like, whatever the question on the table is, um, that negotiated space needs to be able to tolerate a certain amount of discord. What was the hardest thing to learn slash hold and why, as we're talking about the pain and the sludge and the shit? For me, it is that cancel culture is an extension of white supremacy culture. 
And it reinforces white supremacy culture just by using the same tactics. Not that it's trying to say that white people are more important, but that the tactics which have rooted white supremacy, mm -hmm. cancel culture, which is supposed to be about liberation and justice and equity and diversity, are using the exact same tools that are shown to be divisive mm -hmm. and to hurt people and to create conflict. Mm -hmm. And so... Audrey Lords, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. It just makes me fucking wonder like how and why I drink that juice for so long. And it just like gives me so much empathy and love for the people who are still deeply invested mm -hmm. in cancel culture because I know that they can come out of that. I know that we can change. I know that we can evolve, but like the hardest fucking thing is to know like, oh God, the amount of damage that I have done mm -hmm. by perpetrating white supremacy in the name of justice, mm. in the name of diversity. And that I was, not that I was like fighting fire with fire, but like the image that comes to my mind is that like, I was trying to help drowning people by adding more water. Mm. Like white supremacy is a fucking piece of shit. Like everyone's just drowning in white supremacy. And I was like, here's some more water. Get out. You don't drown. <laughs> like it's not a ladder. I'm just like throwing buckets of water in there. Uh, and so, yeah, that's been really, that's been hard to hold and hard to learn about the ways that I have perpetrated harm and how I can like still, if I'm lazy, mm -hmm. if I'm not thinking about it, uh, I can do it again. So mine's very similar, but not because I didn't come to this work until the spillway, let's be honest about that. But so mine, mine was that I'm both a perpetrator and the victim of racism. Mm -hmm. And as you were talking, I thought about something you said to me. I said, I said something it's not coming to mind what, what it was right now. What was that? I don't know, but I said something and you kind, you were very kind and said, you know, um, you shouldn't say that because of X, Y, and Z or whatever, not you shouldn't, but you know, a lot of times when people say that it's connected to this, I can't remember what it was. This the articulation conversation. Oh yeah, it was. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I said, Oh my gosh, I wouldn't even, have thought of that because I use, you know, the articulate to say someone is articulate. I use that for everyone, Yeah, you know? Um, and you said exactly like, if you didn't know, if you don't know, you don't know. Right. And so that's what it, it makes me think of, of you pouring water into the drowning people's pool, because if you don't know, you don't know. Right, right. And even Evangeline tells that story of when she first started doing this work. Yeah, I love and that she story. Went, I know she went in full of, you know, hell and brimstone and everybody was like, no, thanks. And then she went in with like humility and vulnerability and was like, here's what I've done. That's not okay. Yeah. And, and she says that you have to be able to fail. So I think 
because my thing was that I'm, I'm a perpetrator when I don't do anything. Mm-hmm. When I stand by and allow shitty stuff to happen without doing anything. Cause I'm like, Oh, it's not me. So, so, but you know, having that compassion for ourselves and the willingness to see and move forward mm. is I think big. And the fact that you were putting anything in the pool, mm. you know, right? you didn't just walk away from the pool. No, sure. You may, <laughs> sure you may have, you know, thrown some worse. water and some faces, but yeah, you, you were there, you showed up. Right. And then when something different presented itself, you didn't just keep doing what you had been doing because that was comfortable. Right. Now that you know that, you know, right. Are you going to change? Yeah. What are you going to do? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes, sorry, I keep going back to Evangeline. I think it's partly because I just listened to that up. That was like the, the one that I was needed to listen to, to remember something that she said. So, um, but she said, you know, you need to say you get something on the 58th try. Well, you need to have failed the 57 times before that. Right. You, you do stuff, you fail, you learn, you do it again. And you're like, damn it. And then, you know, you keep going. Failure is such an important part of our work. Mm -hmm. It is such an important part of our work. Yep. And to me, this connects to my hardest thing to hold and learn is perfectionism Mm -hmm. being this tenant of white supremacist culture. Yep says that you cannot make mistakes. And so for a good massive majority of my life, it has been about perfectionism. Mm. And so if I can't be messy, if I can't make mistakes, then I can't grow or change. And I think when you apply this to a social justice framework, Mm -hmm. it is, well, when you make mistake, people are dying. Right. And so it becomes this very like elevated hyper-vigilant stance mm-hmm. around mistakes. Mm-hmm. But then where are we supposed to fucking do trial and error? Right. Where are we supposed to learn and grow and share and do? Because it's like we're saying, like, we have to keep putting these reps in in order for us to be able to do this work. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be able to do these reps, these repetitions with each other. And cancel culture doesn't allow that. No. And the people who are pointing and saying like, oh no, you know, you screwed up, whatever you, you're, you can't be a part of this work anymore. Like, are they really doing anything? Because if mm-hmm. they were, they'd be screwing up too. Right. Well, and I think that that's where this is, it's a, if, yeah, this is a hard thing for me to have to have learned too, is that not everyone is invested in healing spaces. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so that's been really hard to hold and learn. Mm. And so there, there are many, many, many white people who listen and learn from BIPOC authors and intellects and scholars who are hurting. Yeah. And then they turn around and then they use the hurt that is not ours. Mm-hmm 
And then they say, no, you don't have space or time to heal. Right. As white people. And that's part of that is very legitimate. And another part of that is, well, then how do we change? How do we Mm -hmm. grow? Mm -hmm. And it's this incredible both and. But if you, Jenny, could have every white person in the United States hear one clip. So it would be you. Stop it. At the beginning. Well, it's not the very beginning, but at the intro to the men's focus group. I mean, I have come to love these men. And I also wonder who they are. As one of the participants says, the more likely we are to understand each other, the less likely we are to harm each other. We can't fully understand each of these four men as individuals in 60 minutes. Well, and also, if you think you know these literal men and who they actually are in real life, fuck off. They bravely agreed to talk with us so that we can have this conversation today. If you come for them, you're committing to setting the movement back. If we can't make space for other white people to be vulnerable and show up in the work, we have to meet people where they're at. And the reason why that's powerful to me is because one of the things that I think perpetuates racism and harm and patriarchy and you know, all that stuff, capitalism, is that we think we know who people are. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) We think we know who people are and what people want. When we do that, we get in trouble because then people aren't human anymore. No, they're not. They're an idea in our head. They're an object. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Shit. So I have four. <laughs> I fucked up. I fucked well, we, up. No, we've got to get started then. Go. Yeah, go. I wrote the rules. I'm going to break the rules. Um, one, everyone in the U.S. just needs to listen to the Fred Jealous episode. Oh, that's for fucking sure. From start to finish, that's the clip. Yes. Well, and I didn't say that one because we've talked about that one so much <laughs> I that I, I feel like it's obvious. But yes, yeah. absolutely. Yes. Um, and to me, it is also this like women and non-binary folks are so implicated in our shared fabric. And mm-hmm. so, yes, it's about white men and like buzzing beneath the surface is this like huge gendered conversation that far extends beyond. Oh, yeah. Masculinity. Uh, second are the shoot blocks. Mm-hmm. They are the most under listened to episodes of the entire series. Mm. And it baffles me because this is the foundational work of the spillway. This is like, stop trying to like guess what the spillway is. There's literally these two 20 minute episodes Mm -hmm. that tell you exactly what we're doing, why we're doing it and the data and research that goes into the work that we're doing. Right. But they're the most under listened to episodes and it just drives me nuts. Yeah. Because people like jump into an episode out of context and like, what the fuck is this? Well, Mm -hmm. okay. We're a serial. You didn't listen to the whole thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Relax. Also, I think they don't have a name attached to them. Like, I think a lot of people maybe came and you can correct me if this is wrong, because I don't know the data, but came to the episodes because of a name or a person or an Mm -hmm. organization that maybe posted it or was attached to it. 
I think, and I think when people share stuff, they're like, oh, listen to me in this episode of the podcast, not listen to this whole podcast. And I'm on episode because that's not, that's what anybody who's promoting themselves would do. Sure. Um, so I think that might be part of why. Yeah, maybe. Um, but then the actual literal clips, since I'm trying to answer the question, like I posed it, it's a mashup. It's just about the theme, the idea of inconsistency mm -hmm. and inconsistent ideology. And so Pablo Sedera's introduction on Beyond White Supremacy, when Pablo mm -hmm. first starts talking, and then Amy Hillier's piece on interest convergence, uh, both with like restorative practice and then critical race theory and how these are like mm -hmm. these huge buzzwords mm -hmm. in liberal and leftist spaces. But then we're so very often like cherry picking which parts of restorative practice and critical race theory to actually engage and do. Mm -hmm. um, but if we actually did them, Pablo says here, we are impacted as perpetrators, as partial or total beneficiaries. And as Lauren and Fred talked about in the spiritual and psychic harms that happen as a result of being perpetrators or benefiting from harmful systems. So recognizing that we all have needs that require attention, um, including those of us who cause or benefit from harm, I think is a really critical part of the restorative philosophy and resonates really deeply with, with what's been said so far. Um, so if we're working on healing and we're ignoring folks who are causing harm, uh, we risk doing a lot more harm uh, in the in the long term. Um, and I'll add also, um, you know, I, I think that Lauren, you talked about sort of hatred within whiteness, right? And white folks distancing themselves from each other. Um, I think a lot of that also has to do with trying to separate ourselves from these harms, distance ourselves from these harms, to set ourselves up as, as the good white people or as blameless or as not implicated in these systems um, through our critique and saying, and, and through uh, a disidentification with whiteness. Um, as opposed to thinking about what are our ind individual and collective harms, needs, and obligations, right? As people who are implicated in these structures, in these systems, in these patterns. Um, and I also will say to, to build on Fred, and then I'll, I'll wrap up for now, is um, this idea about the centrality of community, um, the importance of community. Uh, I, I couldn't second it harder. Um, I, I really do think that we need practice, we need support, to be vulnerable with one another, especially as men, um, especially as white men who, as you said, are, are trained from youth to uh, shy away from vulnerability and deep connection. And so a big part of what we do in restorative work is try to create containers where that vulnerability can be accessed and where people can practice being in closer, realer, uh, more authentic relationship with each other, which I think has a huge role to play in healing. And then as Amy says here. And history is not personal motivations, but if we look at sort of big changes like the 1964 Civil Rights Act, that this, this idea of interest convergence is really helpful, right? To, that power can, you know, power, people do not give up power, right? Like people have ways of protecting power and they may look like they're concessions to civil rights. Um, the, the, the call for decentering whiteness, um, I, I'd like, I don't want, my white students to take that as don't say anything in class, like don't speak up or to a person of color. Um, what I wanted to, what I want decentering whiteness to be is just to an awareness of how you as a white person who may have been socialized 
you know, in in spaces, private institutions, you know, elite institutions like Penn might make it easy for you to jump in and answer a question where might somebody a little longer hasn't been sort of socialized in those spaces to speak to, to just to just be aware like am i speaking because i have something really thoughtful to say or am i speaking because it's really comfortable for me i feel really comfortable in this classroom in the dead space and so i want to feel it um I, you know i don't want white people to shut up um I, you know i do think that listening to Books of color is is a big part of you know and 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 reading things written by people from different perspectives is a big part of it. Um, but I don't, I, yeah, I don't know that's an answer to your question about how you reconcile this idea of interest convergence and decentering whiteness. Um, I think it's more shining a light on you know. And Du Bois talked about this, right? So W. B. Du Bois wrote *The Souls of Black*, which most of us know, brilliant book, right? About what it is to be black um, and to be considered less than, you know, in everywhere that he turned. But he also wrote The Souls of White Folk. Um, and and he, it's remarkable that, you know, somebody who's write, writing so early, so this early 20th century, he's writing about, like, we have to acknowledge that whiteness is something, that, that, that it's not just about anti-black racism, um, that white is, he didn't use white supremacy, um, but that, but that people use their whiteness all the time. And I know that is part of my insulation as I walk around through an institution like Penn. Then if we're actually engaging in things that we keep trying to hold up, shit, we could move mountains. Mm -hmm. um, did anything surprise you in making all of this? How resistant I was. What were you resistant to? I was afraid. Um, I was so afraid. Um, I think... I mean, obviously there's the cancel culture thing that you know about, but I, there mm -hmm. was also that I was afraid that I would have uncover my own racism and biases, which did happen. Yeah. Um, and that I would have to like grow. <laughs> afraid of growing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I did it anyway. Right. And actually what motivated me wasn't that I necessarily wanted to change how I operated to begin with. That was, mm -hmm. was because mm -hmm. I love you so much. Yeah. So even though I was scared and I didn't want to do it, I showed up anyway. Yeah, you did. Because of you. And then that opened the door, me just processing what we were learning. And now I show up, I've shown up to spaces both in person and online that I wouldn't have had I, had I not been engaged in this work. I've read books and watched things that I wouldn't have if I, I would have, you know, overlooked them and been like, or been like, oh, that's not for me or, mm -hmm. you know, what kind of difference can I make, you know, those kinds of you know, avoidant thoughts. Um, and I realized that I really love people. You know, if you had asked me before this, I would have been like, oh, people are the worst, which sometimes I still do say, but that's just because, yeah. yeah. you know, they kind of are. But also, I love them. And I didn't want to do that either. 
I was like, Mm-mm. I love who I love, but everybody else, get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what surprised. Those are there's there's a lot in there, but that's there's, what. Yeah. Um, just a little behind the scenes magic. Mm-hmm. Um, folks don't know that we actually recorded an episode, our very mm-hmm. first episode that we never aired. Mm-hmm. We recorded oh, yeah, a whole true. thing, mm-hmm. and then uh, I think I even edited it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and then you, you listened to it and you were like I I don't want this out in the universe I can't do it yeah because yeah. I was such a weenie I wasn't ready yeah well but I think too it was this like it was this lesson in vulnerability I think for both of us mm-hmm. like the ask that I had of you but also the ask that you had of yourself like there's there was a lot of fucking pressure on on your shoulders I think for someone who's like never done this work this isn't your like your vocation or like your line of work sure to be like hey do this thing <laughs> jump into it be vulnerable mm-hmm. but if you hadn't have thrown me in the pool i wouldn't have done <laughs> i mean you if know. we keep using that metaphor but also like there was not a lot of there, there's a lot of water in the pool but i wasn't actively putting water into the pool but rather trying no to like you weren't you yeah. you gave me a life vest and then you were like you didn't throw water in my face. You were just like, here's your life vest. And then you went boop. And I went, Sploosh. <laughs> and that's how that went. Yeah, that's so fair. that's fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, mine is boring and that it's only a repeat. Um, but the thing that surprised me was that cancel culture is white supremacy culture. Mm-hmm. Like I knew that white, that cancel culture was bad, but I could never really like point my finger on it or like figure out what the pulse of it was. Yeah. And I think of Angela and, and then Tristan just like doubling down on it. It's like, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's what it is. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think it, even in some of the earlier social media posts for this, but I kind of like hint towards it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to hear the articulation from Evangeline and Tristan was like, oh, woof. Yeah. Right, here it is. Yeah. Um, speaking of, is there anything that you wish you could do over? I wrote two words Uh-oh. on my paper oh god the alamo <laughs> <laughs> and you would think that i would have looked it up did you look up the alamo yet i didn't that's no. fine that's totally fine i just i re-listened to that and i was like oh my god and we were talking <laughs> about what my my husband thought was so funny it about it was that you and I were actually talking about how people perceive people from um, the West, like Northeast folks see mm-hmm. people from the West as not having as good an education. And then I'm right. like a cornerstone of my, um, my history <laughs> education. I don't know what it is. Yeah, no, that's fine. I think it's fair. I would also like charge any New Englander mm-hmm. to perfectly recite what happened at the Alamo from memory mm-hmm. yeah i dare you yeah i'm sure there's gonna be a few sure exception to the rule but a majority of we're all with you we're all with I, you i know like who knew i know my parents would be so mad at me though <laughs> um mine if there was ever a do-over i i love the do-over question and i hate the do-over question only in that like i wouldn't be sitting in this place of knowledge if I hadn't made all of the mistakes sure. that I had made. And so I love mistakes and trying to like encourage the messiness of growth mm-hmm. and learning and changing and knowledge. Um, so one, if I could do this again, and this is definitely going to be incorporated in season two, 
is planning with time mm-hmm. and allowing for time. Because I so deeply, deeply, deeply regret not having a women's focus group and mm. a GMBT focus group. Mm. And so much of that came down to timing issues. Yep. Um, like no matter, I started trying to find those focus groups all around the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, but for one, for personal reasons, the GMBT focus group uh, needed to just like be put on pause. And then second, uh, there, I was just like in the middle of a cancellation campaign. Mm-hmm. And so people were really nervous about working with me or the spillway mm-hmm. because I was in the process of getting canceled in this sad little community, mm-hmm. this hurting community. Um, and so I just needed a plan for more time. Mm-hmm. That's what I need. Also, it was your first venture. So you didn't really know how long things were going to take, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. and it felt very urgent. Like we needed to get it done. And also momentum is definitely important when you're doing something like this. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, so I get, I hear you. I understand mm-hmm. what you're saying. And I think it is definitely something that'll make season two, not only better, but also easier, not easier, yeah. but like more livable more livable yeah um i don't think i should be producing writing and directing and editing the episodes the week or two before they come out but rather like a month or two before they come out yeah and also you're doing it all by yourself right now yeah so i feel like in between the time of now and season two think once you know you're going to do some stuff while we're away and then hope maybe you'll have somebody who can help you with that kind of stuff right which i can't do because yeah. a i don't know anything about it and b <laughs> i've got a yeah kind of business coming into like our last three major mm-hmm. questions here mm-hmm. what's mm-hmm. your biggest takeaway from the series mine is that community has to happen Mm. community just has to happen that's the biggest takeaway and I remember starting the spillways social media channels and there was a friend of a friend talk to a friend about the spillway super complicated because no one would talk to me about what was going on Mm -hmm. I would see all of these people like looking at uh, the spillways post because I I think that that was the other shit with starting the spillway is you can see who's looking at your shit and not because you have this yeah. business account. Yeah. Um, and so I'd see all of these people looking at it and engaging in it behind the scenes. And so I was like, what's going on? And this friend of a friend said, oh, it's because we don't have an ask yet. We don't know what to do. And so I was like, oh, we actually have to like do something. We have to like mobilize and do something. Mm-hmm. And then through this community assessment, it's like, oh no, actually I was already doing what we needed to be doing. And that was trying to build community. Mm-hmm. But people wanted this like more and people need, yeah, people do need this like really tangible, oh, I need this like 10 point list about what we need to do Mm -hmm. so that I can like mark these off. Mm -hmm. But rather it's, hey, refriend all of the people that you unfriended because they're racist. That's Mm -hmm. maybe number one that you need to do. Number two, um, check in with each other's humanity. Mm -hmm. Three, be empathetic, compassionate, patient, Mm -hmm. understanding, patient, all these things. Um, and that list is so much harder 
that was just so much harder um because it's about building relationships and the um the relational aspects that forge our work forward right and they're never done like you can't check them off really well I think that they are and that they can be and should be only well like community can get larger and bigger sure but one of the things that I like to push back against within uh, like social justice spaces is this Mm -hmm. idea that our work is never done oh okay because then like what the fuck are we fighting for sure sure like there's never this time where you can like take a breath or like be at ease with just being human Right. It's like, actually, there are some places, these like milestones that we have to like co-create and, and co-identify mm-hmm. to say, okay, this feels better. We can take like a breath. Oh, sure. I mean, yeah. like there's always going to be something in right. our lifetimes. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're planting seeds. And I think we talked about this in one of the episodes, somebody's quote about planting seeds for trees that you're never going to see. Yeah, that was you. Yeah. Um. I don't know who said that's not something I came up with. That was a quote from somebody, but I don't know who it is. Um, But I think, yeah. So, so not that we're not, there's not an end goal, but that we're always going to come up with more ways to make things better because that's what humans do. Right. And I think for me, it is, I really like that seed and tree metaphor because Mm -hmm. as soon as you plant the tree, yeah, you still have to water it. You still have to tend to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you don't have to be like hyper vigilant and focused on it mm-hmm. in a way that's only going to be detrimental to the tree's survival. Because if you overwater something, it's going to fucking die. It's going to die. Also, you don't have to be the only one watering the tree. Nope. Like you can plant the tree and like bring somebody over and like show them how to care for the tree. And then you right. can move on to plant another seed right. somewhere else if that's right. your thing. Or yeah. you can stick with that seed and just take care of that you know like there's that's one of the things Tristan talks about that was so powerful is you know everybody has their own way to approach the work yeah like you don't have to you know if you're an artist and you're doing artwork around social justice and and you know inclusion and whatever else um you don't if you don't have the capacity to march in the streets or can or don't want to like that's okay like find your thing and do that i'm really glad you brought that into the recap episode so my one of my biggest takeaways is um how everything that we do affects others and with the not with remembering that we're all human and we're going to make mistakes and that's okay. And also being mindful of that. So my biggest, so an example of this would be the white women tears. Mm. So I've always just been like, well, I was sad. So I cried. Yeah. And I've had to look at my tears and think, yes, I've weaponized my tears before. Mm. Like, not necessarily against people of color, although I can think of a couple of times where I may have done that. I don't, I have to dive deeper into those things, but mm-hmm. again, you know, to get what I wanted. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, yes, I was sad. And also I was like, I'm going to cry these tears. So I get what I want. Yeah. Not necessarily that conscious, but definitely. And so being aware of how I respond in situations 
Yeah. And it's made me a lot less reactive. Mm. And it's made me, you know, a lot of times when I would cry, I would shut down. And now when I'm feeling sad and I'm crying, I try to reach forward. Like if somebody's actually mm. like my husband's trying to comfort me yeah. instead of just being like, no, leave me alone. I, I like actively try to yeah. engage and give love also, even though yeah. I'm in a sad place. And that makes me so much more aware of what's happening. Mm. It's really um, so that's, that's my biggest takeaway. I mean, there's a lot of them, right? Like you can't. Yeah. No. just boil it down but if i had to choose one i think that would be it right. I love that. Mm -hmm. and i feel like you've already touched on this a little bit maybe you've got something else to share but like what in your life has changed since the series began slash ended since the series exists yeah i think it does go back to what i said before i i go towards spaces where i know i'm going to feel uncomfortable yeah. Um, um, I'm aware of how my physical presence, or I'm more aware of how my physical presence and how, how I'm reacting to certain situations is affecting people around me. Mm -hmm. Um, and finding a balance between being self-conscious and aware is something that I'm also working with. Yeah. Um, I speak up more. I am very aware of the things that I consume. So books, movies, you know, stand up, clothing, anything. I'm trying to be aware of where those things come from yeah. and who they support or who they don't support. Um, and even in my business, um, I'm trying to be aware of not picking clients based on who they believe or what they believe or what they, how they operate politically or socially or whatever. Yeah. Um, but being aware of where they're at and trying to engage in appropriate ways and see if I can just leave a seed mm -hmm. of thought. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how my life has changed. That's a pretty big change. Mm -hmm. And it's, I mean, I don't always operate in those ways every day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Like mm -hmm. I have some days where I'm like, I'm just so tired. <laughs> right. We'd like default back to the laziness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe right. laziness isn't the right word. Maybe it's like defaulting back into pattern old patterns yeah patterns yeah. yeah yeah i think laziness is also part of it though like and sure, not sure. lazy in that we're we don't want to do the work it's that we're tired yeah right we so know that the work is there we know we need to do the work and also and also awesome. yeah we're well i think i don't remember who said this maybe it was evangeline like you can't do it all by yourself yeah and sometimes it just feels really overwhelming and yeah. it's like other things happen in life too, right? Like death and, and loss of yeah. jobs and mm -hmm. um, moving, you know, all those things that are huge personally. So then it's like, you don't have a lot of space left. So really trying to take time to rest and rebuild because if, you you push through as Evangeline said, you're just perpetuating supremacist culture. Which that laps into the thing that's really changed in my cult in my life 
is pushing back on white supremacist culture that I didn't even know was inside of my body. Mm, uh, like what? Perfectionism, mm-hmm. one right way mentality, yep. either or thinking. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm trying to embrace curiosity and contradictions a whole hell of a lot more. Mm-hmm. And so when I receive frustration and anger and pushback, um, I'm, I'm, I'm just greeting it with so much more love and curiosity now, mm-hmm. uh, rather than, um, I think earlier in the spillway process, I think before the podcast, more of it was this like righteous pity, mm-hmm. uh, because it was still like overlapped in that, I think, um, cancel culture, mm-hmm. um, of the, like, I have the, I have the answers and you don't. Yeah. And this is the answer. And now it's, oh, if someone had the fucking answer, we wouldn't be having this conversation at all. Right. If this work were profitable, this work wouldn't exist. And yeah, so those are the, the things that I... Let's go into the themes. This is the like overarching, out of everything we've talked about, what are like the most common things that we've been talking about, but also maybe there's something else that hasn't come up and it really is just like a connection of these multiple dots. What's the very, uh, do you have yours in an order? No. Okay. I don't really either. I'll just start with one. And then that is contradictions. Mm. Contradictions seem to be a huge theme. I think starting with Amy was the first one. I think that we started to really talk about it. Yeah. With these contradictions by episode three, we're already there. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to see it kind of show up throughout these pieces of, uh, the multitudes that we hold. Mm Mm-hmm. And then how that can like be re-embodied with Sam or how it can be in leftist spaces where we're not fully working through critical race theory or interest convergence, Uh, how cancel culture is white supremacy culture. Just these contradictions are massive and how we embody them seems to be like a pretty massive theme. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One of mine is community, community, community. You have to do this work in community. It's not an isol. It's you can't do it in isolation. That seems. I also have community, and I'm thinking about Fred. Fred talked, I think, twice about he would only start an organization or another group if there were multiple people on board, and then mm-hmm. he would start it. It has yeah. to be done in a group so that if someone leaves, other people can join in. Mm-hmm. Amy's working in classrooms. Evangeline is working on accountability and joy. Ben was talking about like white men and suicide. Yeah, yeah. For not having fucking community, community Pablo and yeah. vulnerability with other white men. And then Tristan even coming on the podcast was mm-hmm. like, this is like the pandemic has made this really isolating. And this mm-hmm. is a way for me to connect with community. And that feels really lovely. Mm-hmm. And the men's focus group, um, when you asked the question about COVID and they misunderstood what you were asking, mm-hmm. they went immediately to white people being isolated. Yeah, they did. They sure did. Yeah. So, yeah. That's- yeah, I also had community on my list, if you can't tell. So yeah, we've got a, we've double up on community. Do you have, name another? Yeah, so I have, this is more an observation maybe than a theme, but that n- almost none of the people that we Oh my God, it's on my list too. Social media, it's no. My, that's my I mean, two. Evangeline's on, she's on Instagram, but it's through her organization and Facebook, but mostly, you know, Tristan got off of social media. Mm-hmm. Um, 
That doesn't the have that. Whites of the Round that. Table. Nope. Whites of the Round Table, the most any of them are on is LinkedIn. Oh, mm-hmm. no. Lynn is on Facebook, but with his organization. Cross cultural solidarity, right? Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Jared like completely went off LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. He just made a post about it recently. But then oh, did he? Jill Nagel, pretty active on LinkedIn sometimes, mm-hmm. um, but then just started a TikTok account. Oh, wow. I was so excited for Jill to start a TikTok account. That was really exciting. Oh, that is exciting. But that was like the only time, right? Mm-hmm. That there's mm-hmm. been like, oh, I, I made a new account mm-hmm. out of and the even 13 in, people we talked to. Yeah. In the men's focus group, you know, Jay was like, I used to post, you know, anti-racist stuff, but not really anymore. And Tej was the only real one that had like a lot of interaction on right. social media. Social media, the theme of social media. Social media. Yeah. I just, I don't know how or why or if change can happen there after this. It just seems like there's such a, there's such a space for it, but no Mm -hmm. one wants to take it because it is so fucking terrifying there. Yeah. Um, Another one that I had was curiosity and mistakes. Mm. That seemed really large Mm -hmm. throughout all of it. And I think in this like maybe larger, maybe like another synonym would be vulnerability. Yeah. Maybe this larger kind of consistent theme throughout the pieces. Fear, white people fear, hmm. um, which maybe wasn't explicit, but I think it was definitely an undertone, especially with getting people onto the podcast. You had to do a lot <laughs> yeah. of like reassuring. Yeah. Even with. I mean, especially with me, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? I think it was, yeah, it's there for sure. That's interesting. I didn't even think about it that way with white people fear, but it looking at the first like five or six episodes, they were all people that I knew. And so it was very easy for them to like, as Evangeline says, when white people work with other white people, you have to name who you are, name your context, name mm-hmm. your heart, name where you're mm-hmm. coming from in yep. order for people to like be able to hold you accountable with love and yeah, I think as, as Jay was saying, hold me with love and lead with love. Mm-hmm. And so to reach out to people who didn't know me from Adam, mm-hmm. were like, fuck is this mess? And so people were receiving it in these mm-hmm. weird ways. And so you really had to like position yourself in a way that almost felt inhuman mm-hmm. with caveat after caveat after caveat mm-hmm. of this is who I am. Yeah, there's, yep. there was a lot. Yeah, it's a really good. There's a lot of white fear. Mm-hmm. I still fucking think about those six fucking humans who I reached out for for the LGBTQ white people episode that just never fucking responded. But that yeah. these people have made these public commitments to racial justice and equity. Mm-hmm. But the second I was like, hey, let's let's work on white people, mm-hmm. they couldn't even fucking respond. Right. And the fear, white people fear, just to clarify, isn't, afraid of people of color it's afraid well the fear that i the theme of fear that i'm talking about sure oh right 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 right. is a fear of other white people (laughs) right you know what i mean it's yeah 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 Yeah, white people love to not trust other white people yes uh which leads to my last theme oh mm -hmm. yeah that's shit i how often we talk about cancel culture so many times 66 times mm-hmm. oh, 66 that seems... times yeah we talked about that a lot a lot 
I did, yeah, I did not realize how much of this Bowie work was going to be about this vast overlap of cancel culture, white cancel culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have a, a last theme? Was that five of them? Let's see. One, two, three, four, five. No, that wasn't five of them. I have two more. I have two left. So you might be missing one. Oh. <laughs> I counted. <laughs> so mine was white women tears. And I think that one's like very selfish because I just, it affects me. <laughs> right. Well, we did talk about, I think to me, it kind of lends into the vulnerability. You were to talk about white women tears probably in five of the 12 episodes. Yeah, bring it up a lot. Yeah. Mine was community, social media, curiosity, mistakes, vulnerability, cancel culture, and then contradictions. Oh, maybe you did them. I overlapped on your community. I like doubled down on Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. I forgot. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. community. Yeah, that's the like number one theme. Mm-hmm. Do you want to hear my last one? No, we're done. We can go home now. The end. Um, it was love. Oh. oh, oh, I love that. That's where we're like coming to this natural conclusion of love. You are so right. There is a huge theme of love throughout this entire thing. I feel like that's the, like, if you just take all of the layers away of everything that's important and unimportant, the reason why you're doing this is because of love, ultimately. And not that love of, like, we talk about with Evangeline, not like the, not the greeting card love, but the support accountability type, like that deep that deep connection to humans and the world that we live in. I think when I, there's something about the word accountability that just like rubs me wrong. And I think it's because I hear it so often in social justice and left spaces. Mm, Okay. And so I guess for me, and I'm also just thinking about this extemporaneously, but rather like love and interconnectedness. Mm -hmm. And so if you do something that impacts our interconnectedness, our interwovenness, mm-hmm. our mutuality, mm-hmm. then yeah, we're going to talk about it. <laughs> we're going to explore it. We're going to mm-hmm. excavate it. We're going to like totally hold space for whatever the fuck happened. Mm-hmm. But there's no one right way to repair fabric. And so, yeah, through accountability, yeah, mm-hmm. through that, whatever that is. But like, yeah, love, love are those, is that. Ah, mm-hmm. You have this very literal microphone in front of you right now. Mm-hmm. There are people who are sitting in traffic, who are folding their laundry, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who are listening to this podcast, white people. Mm-hmm. What do you want them to know? Don't be afraid or be afraid, but do it anyway. That's better. Oh. Yeah. If you're afraid, that's okay. That's superhuman of you. Yeah. And you're not alone in that. And show up anyway the best you can in the best way that you know how, even if it feels insignificant to you. Even if it's just giving someone of color visibility at the grocery store, saying hello, meeting their eyes, how are you? Or, you know, writing to your um, representatives and showing up to a caucus space or, um, an anti-racist class or setting up um, a book club. You know, people talk a lot of shit about book clubs, but, you know, for some people, that's the best way they know how to engage the work. So be afraid if you are and know that that's okay. 
and do it anyway. That's really sweet. I mean, that's it. I mean, there's a lot, but that's... <laughs> you always make me do one thing or then like five things. And it's hard to choose. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Right. Because there's no one right thing for people to hear, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so Lauren, you have this very literal microphone in front of you. <laughs> there's some white folks folding laundry, taking their dog for a walk, sitting in traffic. What is one thing that you would say to them at the end of season one? I think I'm going to take a note from Fred mm-hmm. and ask a question. <laughs> Can you see how compassion, empathy, patience, and understanding are not tools within the master's toolbox. To go back to the Audre Lorde quote, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. Patience, understanding, compassion, and empathy are so foreign to white supremacist culture that if we start to build those tools within our toolboxes and belts, Imagine what we can do when we bring more love into our work. Because love, when I think of love, I do not believe that I was taught that as a a white supremacist doctrine. I never understood love as being connected to white supremacy. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that's my, that's, I think, my charge. Go love yourself. Go love your neighbors. Mm -hmm. Go love your community. Mm -hmm. And show up with genuine curiosity for how Mm -hmm. to make your relationship better. And that's not to say that everyone has to get along and this whole, like, kind of utopic hippy-dippy Woodstock lifestyle, but rather Mm -hmm. we are all interconnected. Mm -hmm. My humanity is wrapped up in yours Mm -hmm. and yours and mine. And so if you want to treat me like shit, all we're going to get is shit. Mm -hmm. If you want to treat me with love, all we're going to get is love. And we're going to get so much further in this conversation if we use so much more honey than we do vinegar. Mm -hmm. And so this may not feel right. It may feel like super counterintuitive. Uh, and maybe that's why it's the exact answer or one of the answers because it's the one we least expect. Mm-hmm.